Welcome to Marriage and Martinis. Thanks so much for being here today. Um, one of my favorite parts of having a podcast and having the platforms that we have is that Adam and I sort of can go through things, make mistakes, um, kind of work out the kinks and figure out what we would have done differently, and then kind of go back and report it to you, right? Like how how would we have done it differently if we did it all over again? And you haven't done it yet, maybe, so you have the opportunity to learn from our mistakes. Um, and that's really one of my favorite things to do. Um, and it's pretty much 100% certain that we are going to screw up pretty much everything we do the first time, Adam and me, um, and the second time, probably the third time. But at the same time, we are so, I think we're so honest about our mistakes, right? And we're so honest about um, what we would have done differently. And and when it comes to education, Adam and I were raised very differently. Um, I was raised in a household where it was just the absolute utmost important thing in the world. And Adam was raised in kind of a, um, a business family where, um, you know, higher education really wasn't quite as important. So we, we come to our marriage and our parenting with these two different styles and perspectives and have kind of had to join forces to um, figure out how to make that best work for our kids. And I think that with Mia, who we just went through the college process with first, um, I think we did a good job. I really do. I'm, I'm really proud of us. And, and for any of you who have followed our journey with Mia. Um, it has not been an easy one over the last four years, but it is one of which has definitely um, shown us that, you know, that that kids are on an, a never ending, um, you know, voyage of self-discovery and change and and that, you know, that that the way in which we respond to all of that does matter. So when it came time to find a college for Mia, um, because she did say that she really wanted to go to college, we had to really shift both of our mindsets, right? My mindset of, well, well you know, the, the best college out there is the one we're going to pick, and Adam's um, mindset of, well, I don't know, maybe she doesn't need to go to college. Or So we had to sort of, you know, compensate and, and each of us and, and figure out how to make it work. And I, I think that one thing that people forget when picking colleges or, you know, a lot of people forget is that it's supposed to be fun, right? It's supposed to be an enjoyable experience. It's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a privilege, this higher education that we have. Um, it's, it's this incredible opportunity. And of course it's not for everybody, but you know, I think even as parents, when we're going to look, sometimes we forget to sort of just get the joy in the actual process, right? Not just once they're accepted, but all the way through and all the things we learn as a family and as parents and as, as students. So um, Adam and I asked um, Peter Tillis of Princeton College Consulting to come on and sort of, you know, answer our questions, stuff that we wish we had asked before, um, talk to us about stuff we've learned, and we wanted to do it in a way that um, I think a lot of <clears throat> podcasts that talk about colleges don't, right? I think there are a million podcasts out there on how to get into an Ivy League school, um, you know, how to, uh, you know, 
get the right SATs and the right this and the right that, which is all fine and good. I think it's wonderful. But I don't know how many podcasts out there are talking about making sure that we find the right fit school. And so that's kind of where I want this series to go, because that's one thing that I learned more than anything when we were going along this process was um, that it has to be the right fit and that that's more important than anything. And they that there was a lot of steps I had to get there. I had to get to understand that. Um, and now I do. And I'm so glad that that's where we put our emphasis. So um, Peter Tillis is the founder and managing partner of Princeton College Consulting He's a seasoned college admissions consultant with 10 plus years of experience. He specializes in character development to help students achieve their college goals and personal growth. Peter works with select students globally, visits college to understand their priorities, and is a frequent speaker on competitive admissions and athletic recruiting. With 30 years of senior executive experience, Peter is a problem solver who problem solver who enjoys maximizing students' potential to achieve their academic, athletic, and professional goals. So we talk about all kinds of things, um, but this first episode, we really concentrate on how we're, how to build the list of where you're going to look. Um, you know, we're all limited on time. We're limited, we're limited on a budget. Um, and so we really need to narrow down where are we going to look for our kid. Um, and that's sort of what this episode delves into. I think there's so much good information in here. So, um, you know, send it to friends who are looking um, at schools, even if your child is in eighth, ninth, tenth grade. Not that, you know, we're promoting going full force and stressing your kid out, but certain things as parents that we can just start to think about and start to implement into their lives a little bit, even without them realizing that maybe we have college in the back of our minds when we do it. So much good information. Um, go and check out Princeton College Consulting, their website. Also, um, on their website, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. They uh, put a guide together for our listeners um, that you can download before you go and start your college visits. So uh, go ahead. It's free. You can go download that. And um, enjoy the episode. We will be back with more in this series. So um, I will be asking for your questions, and I hope that this already answers a ton of them. Thank you so much. Hi, Peter. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Adam and I recently um, just completed the college search and application process with our oldest, with Mia. People have sort of been following um, since you know last year and everything that we've been through she's into college and that's all complete now we just have to figure out how we're going to pay for it but um but the process itself i think we were both shocked at how um intricate it gets and so i think once we were done with it i was really excited to share with everybody with our audience what we've learned because I think that we go into it so blindly. Um, and so that's why I wanted to have you come on and, and talk to us a little bit and guide people who are just starting the process in, um, you know, in a way that I sort of wish that we had had some guidance when we started. So do you want to tell everybody a little bit about your background and, and your business and everything? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, came to this business through a very circuitous uh, sort of route, not the typical route, 
that most people who end up in college admissions consulting sort of follow. I had spent 25 years or so uh, in corporate America, first in the banking world and then in the pharmaceutical world and then as an entrepreneur in the pharmaceutical uh, world. But the, the turning point for me was when my older daughter was entering ninth grade. Um, and we started thinking about the college admissions process. And the more I started looking at the process, the more, and this is going to sound really nerdy of me, um, the more I looked at it, the more it seemed like a multivariate regression equation. There's a lot of, the dependent variable is, do I get into school? The independent variables are this myriad of factors that go into the process that are just a mystery for a lot of people in terms of how these things work together. And for me, it was just fascinating. And I spent two years immersing myself um, in the process and learning about it and then started going out and doing a lot of public speaking before I ever took on my first client. And my first client, frankly, was my daughter. And after successfully navigating her through that, but this was a few years into the process, four years in, um, really decided this is what I wanted to do because I was just fascinated. I had left the pharmaceutical world after a successful exit uh, of a business that I was brought in to turn around and and sell off um, and was thinking about what I wanted to do next. And this really just sort of fell into my lap. So now, 13 years later, um, we're a company uh, of seven people. We, you know, work with a couple of hundred kids at any given time. Mm. And the growth has been tremendous. It has been a labor of love for every single member of our team. Um, And it's just a ton of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I love the way you put it, by the way. I love like the little geeky, nerdy like verbiage you put on to yeah. Or the spin that you put on to. I'm just curious, what, what did you find fascinating initially about the, the college application process? What was it? Because I when we just went through it, like Danielle said, for the first time ever, not you know, for our kids. I, I my head was spinning. Like I didn't even know what to do, where to look, what to start. I, I had no idea of anything. I didn't find it fascinating, and I'm glad. Danielle found you because <laughs> yeah. you find it. Fa- so I'm just curious. What? That's what, why I'm a nerd and you're not. Exa- well, yeah, I mean, in other ways, at least. But, you know, what was it that drew you to like what what did you find so fascinating that you knew this is what you had to do? So if you go back into my background mm-hmm. in corporate America, I worked for Citigroup for many years. Okay. I worked for Union Bank of Switzerland. And uh, then I was in the pharmaceutical industry with a company called PDI. I was president of a pharmaceutical research, a publicly traded pharmaceutical research company. And But particularly from my days in banking, um, I always was given the sort of thorny problems that were really complicated because to me they were puzzles mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. needed solving and I enjoyed it they they knew that that's what I enjoyed I wanted the problems that other people didn't think could be solved because I could for whatever reason felt like I could see a way you know to to address something um, so I was always fascinated by that and when I looked started looking at the college admissions process the first thing I realized is that every single kid is different Every student is a unique puzzle, which you then have to overlay onto these 
different factors that go into an admissions process that, for better or worse, many of the colleges and universities, they do a great job in information sessions of trying to help people understand what holistic admissions is all about, um, but they don't quite drill down deeply enough into what it means to look at the whole person. And I just found it fascinating to sort of begin to peel that onion back uh, of what it meant, you know, to look at a whole individual holistically. Um, and the more I dug into it, um, the more it drew me into the process. And it was all in the context of helping my own daughter navigate the process. And for her, the very beginnings of all of this is that she was an athlete and she picked up a tennis racket for the first time in ninth grade, and then by the middle of 10th grade was playing her first USTA tournaments and got real serious about it. And by the end of 11th grade, she was getting recruited, you know, by colleges to come play tennis. And looking at that plus, you know, what role do academics play? What role do other extracurriculars play? What role do essays and interviews play and letters of recommendation and figuring out how all these things dovetail together and work together to sort of tell a story that in a very, very competitive process is going to separate this student, but maybe not separate that student was just fascinating to me. And so it's been 13 years. I've gone way down the rabbit hole and still going strong. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah our, our situation was a little bit different. First of all, I, Adam said he wasn't, he didn't love the process. I was the opposite. I really, I mean, obviously it's very, very stressful. And I guess what I want listeners to, you know, to get out of the process that I, I think I got out of it, but also it being my first time and everything, um, there was ab absolutely a lot of anxiety and also our situation was a little bit different, which I'll talk about, but um, it was fun. I mean, I think visiting these schools, first of all, you're traveling to cool places. Um, you know, it, yes, it's you have to find time off work and, you know, school and fit it all in. And, um, you know, and, and, and like you said, the puzzle piece, the, the figuring out, okay, well, you saw this school and maybe that, you know, you didn't like that size or you didn't like, you know, that, that those, um, the majors that it offered or all of these things that, you know, you, you have to factor into it. And with our daughter, um, it was very different. She's definitely not an athlete. Um, and she had recently changed high schools, um, you know, through mid high school career, she went from public to private. And it was like life changing for her. So, you know, and for Adam also, we always say he changed from public to private and it was life changing for him. Now, I know I, I know tons of people who go to public and absolutely love it. These were just specific circumstances. But, you know, I, I think that one thing that's so cool about the college process is that, um, you know, you're entering a time in your life when um, you're figuring yourself out. But yet you're also, um, you know, you're, 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 you still have freedom. You still have your summers off. You still have all of that stuff. You know, it's, it's really this, this transitional time. And I think that um, if finding the right school, sort of like how Mia found the right high school and Adam found the right high school, I think it really is a life, you know, altering experience. And so with Mia, you know, we, we sort of knew 
because she had already done the search for um, when she changed to private school, we sort of knew what she needed. You know, we, we knew that she needed small. Um, she's LGBTQ. We, need, we knew we needed, you know, a progressive LGBTQ friendly school, that kind of thing. Um, but you mentioned that you're, you started looking for your daughter in ninth grade. And I guess that's one of the first questions I have is because um, we certainly did not. We, um, you know, first of all, it was the pandemic when she was in ninth grade. So we were literally just trying to get, you know, through the days. But I'm just wondering, is that sort of when you think parents and students should start the process? Because we literally like started, I don't know, June. I I was just going to ask you, did you think about this when she was in ninth grade? Well, I thought about it from the aspect of like, I knew she had to get good grades. And, you know, I knew she needed to have extracurricular activities. I knew she needed to be passionate about something, all of that. You know, um, I knew she needed to utilize her summers and all of that. But it wasn't with the focus of, okay, I want her to be able to get into, you know, a top school or something. For us, with her, it was, I mean, really to this day, it was, it was, we need her to go somewhere where she's going to thrive and be comfortable. Well, um, we saw what the change did for her with her, the private school that she goes to now. Yeah. So we knew we had to keep that going. Like what's the mm-hmm. right specific school for her situation, Wh- yeah. whether it's a top school or not a top school or a vocational school, you know, whatever it is, whatever is right for her. We knew that that was our target. So if, if, if there was a time that you say, you know, people, parents should start really thinking about it or students should start really thinking about it. And I mean, obviously I think it's harder to get the students to start thinking about it in ninth and 10th grade, but what is the right time? Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. That's a great question, you know, and I think it, it depends on the student. I think it depends on, you know, what their objectives are as a family and and to the extent the student has objectives in terms of aspirations of the types of schools that they're thinking about. In my case, with my daughter, it was simply a question of once we start high school, everything counts. And mm-hmm. there, there's an expression I use with my, my kids. I have two daughters. And the expression I've always used with them is that there are two sort of boats one can be in you know, be in in life. You can be a leaf blower or you can be the leaf. And if you're the leaf, you're bouncing around, getting blown from place to place. And if you're the leaf blower, you're a little bit more in control, you know, of things. To the extent you start thinking about college, like for example, I might, if I didn't think about college at all, and I just say, all right, let me look at my ninth grade curriculum and what courses I take. And you don't think about that from the perspective of, well, what if I work this backwards? What if I think about building a four-year curriculum plan and saying, where do I think I want to try and get to in my curriculum by 12th grade? What does that mean in terms of 
what I should take in 11th? What does that mean in terms of what I should be trying to take in 10th? What does that mean in terms of what I should be trying to take in ninth grade? Now that I've taken that sort of full view, I don't necessarily have to focus heavily on college, but I am sort of starting to think long term about planning out so that I'm making the right decisions that will set me up for success, assuming everything goes the way you know one wants it to. If you do well and you get the grades you need to get, you can go from your college placement level courses to your honors level courses to your AP level courses if the school offers those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at things in isolation and as one year, right, and you make decisions sort of in isolation, you run the risk of maybe perhaps not, because you're not looking at the larger picture, making decisions that might suboptimize that pathway. And then later on, when you start thinking about college admissions, suddenly you're faced with, well, gosh, I wish I had looked at this back then and thought about it more holistically. So it's not so much consciously starting to think about college, although there are steps we started to take um, in ninth grade. You know, we started making very informal visits to schools. And just to give you an example, we didn't have a school list in ninth grade. We had no clue what mm -hmm. kinds of schools. But what we did know is that we said, why don't we visit three schools? Let's look at a school in a rural setting. Let's look at a school in a suburban setting. And let's look at a school in a city or an urban setting. Let's look at a small school. Let's look at a medium-sized school. Let's look at a large school. And you can actually visit three schools and cover all those bases. So, you know. And you could probably find them pretty local, too, oh, wherever absolutely. you live. Wherever you live. Yeah. You know, we're in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. So in the case of my, my own children, again, we had no clue what schools would be right. We weren't even thinking about that. But what we did is we looked at three schools. Um, we drove out to Penn State, which is a very large school in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. right? And then we went to Philadelphia, and Drexel University and University of Pennsylvania are two medium-sized urban schools. And then we went out to Lafayette College, which is in a suburban setting in Easton, Pennsylvania, which is a very small liberal arts school, but in a suburban setting. And the whole point of doing it was to let my daughter set foot onto those campuses and see how she felt. She took one step onto Penn State's campus, wasn't there very long, and said, this is way too big for yeah. me. Right? And what it does is it begins to help them formulate opinions about the kinds of settings that they may feel comfortable in, you know, ultimately. Now, granted, things can change. Right. You know, and, and their interests evolve, but it's incredibly useful in starting to get them to think about it without putting any pressure on them. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, to your question of when's the right time to be thinking about all this, we didn't spend a ton of time talking about college admissions. Right. What we did was... Because college admissions is largely a character-based evaluation, right, and knowing that, it's about what do you do 
academically. It's about what do you do with your extracurricular activities. So in our case, it was making sure that our kids had the tools they needed to have to do the best that they could do academically. It was about exposing them to many different areas and extracurricular activities to see what would light them up. We weren't ever trying to push anything on them. We just wanted to expose them to all different kinds of things to, because some things they were like, oh, I can't do that. Other things were like, oh, this is really cool. And then you invest in that a little more, you expose them to more, you see how far they want to go with these things. And so it wasn't as if we were having these conversations in the context of getting into college. It was about helping them develop as human beings, find things that they were passionate about, helping them to immerse themselves in these activities so that they would develop a measure of depth and substance in these areas because it is the quality of the experiences that they have, you know, and the depth of those experiences that ultimately become, create the ability for one when it does come time to apply to college to write an essay at a meaningful level, to answer mm -hmm. interview questions. If you are engaging in activities at extremely superficial levels, it becomes very hard to articulate things in a way that's gonna demonstrate to colleges that somebody you know, has significant potential. So for us, it wasn't about consciously trying to talk about college admissions all the time. It was about just exposing them to the activities. It was about making sure they had the tools to be successful academically, You know, making sure that they were learning how to become good writers and good speakers, because those are two of the primary ways that kids are going to have to sort of demonstrate their mm, abilities mm -hmm. when it, through essays and interviews and things like that. So it was less of a focus on getting into college and more of a focus on how do we help them become the best versions of themselves? Mm. Yeah, I want to expand on that, actually. I think it's a really great idea, actually, to go as a freshman to see like you were saying, what the college options are, what's out there, what's right for you. You know, I wasn't, let's say to put it lightly, very academically driven, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I ended up in private school and boarding school. Yep. And I wasn't, although, yes, I improved, I was still through high school not academically driven to, you know, move on to college and do my, like, I, I had no interest. I had no intent on what I was, where I was going to go, what I was interested in. I didn't have any of that. And you know, that's partially just me, not just because I didn't see what was available, but maybe if I had in ninth grade when I was 14 or 15, I would have seen, wait a minute, this is what I'm working towards. There are possibly options for me. Like, I didn't know what college was except for what I saw in movies or what I saw in, I'm not, I wasn't into like the big party scenes. I wasn't into the, you know, I like small groups. I like, you know, having tight, close friends and, you know, doing that kind of thing. Maybe if I saw what was out there and I saw something that really, I was like, that's for me. Like, I would love to be in this situation. Maybe I would have worked a little bit harder towards it and strived to, to get to that place or, and if I had seen that in the beginning, you know, things might have been different. Who knows? You know, but I would have been at least opened up to those opportunities to know what's available, right? So I think it's a really good idea. Actually, I think that's kind of smart to do at a young age with no pressure, just to say, hey, this is what's there. If it interests you, 
in four years, it's still going to be there waiting for you if you want to work for it. You know, if you think about it, we have so many families that come to us that tell us their child has to apply into a particular major. And very often that student has zero interest, mm. sure. you know, in, in studying or pursuing that particular area. You know, for me, I look at the typical 14, 15, 16, 17 year old high school student and to expect them to be passionate about things out in the world. There are certainly some students who are and who are mature mm -hmm. beyond yes. their chronicle age. I'm not trying to suggest that nobody ever does. There are absolutely kids who have well-formed passions and it's just innate in them. But there are so many more who just don't. Mm -hmm. And they don't know what they want to do. They don't know what they want to study. And it's a little bit of a fool's errand to expect a teenager to know what they should be passionate about because they don't have the life experience, right? Sure. To, to have gone out and done all these things. We all have passions, but we're much older. We've lived through quite a bit and that has helped us form and figure out who we are and who we would become. And they just aren't old enough to have that yet. And so I think it's, it, again, it's a fool's errand to expect them to do that. I think the way that we like to approach this with students is don't expect them to be passionate about something, but expose them to things that are important out in the world. Let them try their hands at it. Let them get involved in it. And then as they get involved and they start accomplishing things, they start feeling better about it and their passion starts to emerge right from the fact that they're doing interesting things they're they're making a contribution mm -hmm. they're feeling really good about themselves they're beginning to find a sense of purpose right but it's all starts with exposing them to many different opportunities right, right. so that they have those ranges of experiences yeah and it's interesting because with mia um our oldest you know she when she was a freshman had you said to Adam and I, like, do we even know if she's going to go to college? We would have probably said we don't know, which would have been fine. And we would have figured it out. And, you know, not I know, like it would have, we would have figured out the path and, you know, tried to make sure that she was just doing something fulfilling. And and I get that. And I think that oftentimes that is, you know, that is the answer for a lot of kids. But we st still made sure, you know, that, again, she was having those experiences and we made sure that she was still doing well in school and everything. And thank goodness we did, because between between junior and senior year, when I tell you there was, I mean, a transformation like you can't even imagine. And she all of a sudden was very gung ho about going to college. And 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 you know, and freshman year, I never could have seen that coming. So I think that keeping those, you know, by saying oh, well, maybe they're not, you know, they're, they're not the kind of kid who's going to go to college, which in many cases that might be the case and it's great. But keeping those options open and making sure that the pathway is still available um, is, is good because, you know, one thing that she did say to me when she was applying and she had found her dream school was thank you for making sure that I still got good grades because she realized that, 
you know, had we just sort of let that go and been like, okay, well, she's probably not going to go, you know, to, and again, by no means was she, she wasn't an exceptional student. She wasn't, you know, a National Honor Society kid. She's a, she's an average student. Um, But she, you know, she realized at a certain point that um, at least the option was still open for her. And I think that's really, you know, important. And again, when we started looking for us, we were able to narrow down kind of, she had no idea where she wanted to go to school. Um, and again, we did this kind of the same thing. We didn't look at the huge schools, but she'd been there because, you know, she has a cousin who goes to Pitt and she has a cousin um, who goes to Rutgers. You know, she's she's seen a lot of big schools. But um, we, we knew that it was probably like 5,000 or less students. So that really kind of, you know, um, narrowed our search. And we knew that it, it had to be... Um, kind of local you know we didn't we weren't going eight nine hours away we were within like a a five hour you know driving range and everything so those sort of things helped us but for people who you know there are some kids who are like I have no idea and we knew that she look she she loves theater she loves you know we had indicators of what she wanted she wants to get a teaching degree what do you say to the parents who are like my kid has absolutely no clue Great question. Um, you know, in terms of building college lists when you have no clue about what you want to study, first of all, take some peace of mind from the fact that 75% of all college applicants apply to college undecided. Wow. Okay. Um, and the 25% who apply into specific programs many of them end up changing their minds mm-hmm. once they get to yeah, that, school. that makes sense. Yeah. It makes yeah. complete sense because in many cases, and no fault of parents, parents only want the best mm. for their children. But sometimes they sort of weigh in. You should be a doctor. You should be this. Mm-hmm. You should be that. And so the kids being kids, you know, they sort of go along with it, independent of how they sort of feel about it. The good news is because so many students apply to college undecided, there are many schools that provide wonderful, I'll call it scaffolding, okay? They understand that because so many students apply undecided and because at most schools, you generally don't start your major area of concentration until your junior year. Your freshman and sophomore years are largely about taking core courses, satisfying certain requirements, and then you're declaring your major, you know, by middle of sophomore year. Um, Many students are applying into specific schools, you know, a college of engineering, a college of business, or whatever it is, still not being sure what they want to major in. But many of these schools, and in looking for schools, I'd be looking for programs where they, they offer programs for undecided students because they create the scaffolding to help you explore to help Mm. you experiment right would that be mostly like a liberal arts school generally speaking it's many of the larger universities that provide that i would have expected opposite so take a school i mentioned them already take a school like you know Penn State. They have the Division of Undergraduate Studies. You go in, you spend your first two years. You, you, you are only going into that program. 
because you applied undecided, you have no idea what you want to do, and they provide all the resources and mechanisms to help a student explore to begin to figure out what it is they want to do. Mm. Right, you know, in NYU terms of has that too. The, the general studies program. I don't know if it's the still liberal called core. That. Liberal core. Liberal core. Okay. Yeah, and and certainly within the liberal arts, you know, smaller liberal arts schools, you're taking a fairly varied, you know, set of core subjects in the math and the science. A lot like the high school, you know, five core subject areas. Only you're going to be doing a much deeper dive, and then when you select your major you're going to do a seriously deep dive into one particular area. So if you if you end up sort of gravitating towards English because you've gone through a number of core courses, when you declare your major, you know, you may say I'm really going to focus on Shakespeare and you do a super deep dive for 2 years into Shakespeare. I mean, it gets very very granular. When you're in high school and you're taking English courses which are also known as survey level courses you're just touching and scraping the tip of the iceberg but for families that and students who just don't know what they want to study that's the majority mm. of students applying into college these days and by the way we get asked the question all the time are we at a disadvantage in applying if we're applying undecided right. and absolutely not this oh, is how the ma- this this is how the majority of, of kids are applying to school. Colleges do not expect that when somebody's in high school that they know what they want to do right. with the rest I of their life. I would hope so. Yeah. You don't want people deciding at 17 years old like right. what they're doing yeah. for the rest Col- of their life. College they have to have is experience. the place yeah. where you're really supposed to be discovering yourself. Sure. Yeah. Right? And right. by taking a lot of these different courses. And then by the time you're getting out of school, having picked your major and you're going on to graduate school, if that's something you want to do, you know, you got to know where you're going by then. Right. But when you're coming into college, their expectations are that, no, this is your time for discovery. So you, you spoke a little bit about um, undecided and, you know, finding those programs that will work for that type of student. And I have to say, I grew up um, in a household where the name of a college was very important, right? The status, the, um, you know, the, that... It was it was implied strongly, maybe directly, <laughs> that we needed to go the best place we got in, right? That you know that was that was our goal that we were going to apply and get in the best you know the best place we got in. What I have personally learned, um, and it's taken me some some thought and some time, you know, when we were looking at schools for Mia, I had to kind of get out of my own way and get out of my own way for her in the fact that. If I was going to find the best fit school for her, I completely had to get over the, oh, my God, well, people aren't, aren't going to know that school or that program. Or, and there was a part of me that for a little bit ha- was, had a little issue with that, you know, that I was sort of like I would start by saying, oh, you know, you may not have heard of it, but it has an amazing this or an amazing, you know, I was justifying it when in, in actuality, um, I know I was doing the right thing for her by by finding the right fit. And, and sometimes the right fit isn't the best named school. Um, and so, you know, I, I think from my own experience, that was one thing that was really important that 
I got over. And um, and you know, you talk about these hidden gems and and these these programs and everything. And I, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that, as opposed to you know going out there and saying, okay, well, we gotta you know find the best this or the because. I, I really think it would have been a, a disservice to her had I gone out there and been like, oh, but it's not as good as because in actuality, for the reasons it needed to be good for her, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a great question. I think finding the right fit school ultimately trumps the brand um, of the school. And I'll give you a couple of examples. I, I have a very, very dear friend of mine Um Went to Harvard, went to MIT, um, went to Wharton University of Pennsylvania, and he is as you know loaded with degrees as anybody can be, and he's done reasonably well in life, but you know not as well as you might imagine somebody who came out of those kinds of programs, right? Um, on the other hand. Um, there is a consortium of schools called the Colleges That Change Lives. I don't know if you've heard of those. And um, in, in my own personal life, I have a, you know, my wife's first cousin's daughter. Um, she was a student who lacked a little bit of direction when she was in high school. She wasn't sure who she was, where she wanted to go. And she went to uh, Ursinus College, which is one of the colleges that changed lives. Yeah, we looked there. Which is an incredibly nurturing environment um, for students. And she had she had no idea what she wanted to study. And she had a professor who was a professor of neuroscience who took her under her wing. She was beginning to express interest in that. And not only did he take her under her wing, but because he did that, she thrived mm. at Ursinus because he just became her mentor. Long story short, she graduated, you know, near the top of her class, got a full ride to Yale Medical School. Um, wow. Coming out of that because she was in the right environment. Mm-hmm. She was in the right school. It's not about mm-hmm. the brand. I mean, there are benefits to the names of schools, you know, my friend who has all those degrees, if he's going to look for a job, they're sure going to look at a resume with, you know, Harvard and MIT and Wharton on it, but you still got to get through the interview and you still have to, you know, get the job. But beyond that, it becomes a function of how do you perform in the job that you're in and then what impact does that have on your trajectory beyond that, because after your first job, nobody really asks where you went to school. That's right, yeah. Right? They want to know how you performed Mm -hmm. in in the job that you were in most recently. And unfortunately, nobody asks if you graduated magna cum laude, which sucks, because I did. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so bummed about it. It was like the one good thing I ever did, and nobody has asked. You love shouting out to the world that, I went to NYU, I went to NYU, I I was in the city. Because (laughs) it's literally the best, like the the only successful thing. Besides Besides your family and the podcast. Oh, right, my kids. Shit, yeah, I forgot about (laughs) that. Yeah, don't forget the kids. Yeah, no, right, and you. (laughs) Right. But, um, But, you know, it's interesting because for me the goal is um, I want my daughter to be at a place where she does not want to come home after a semester. You know what I mean? Where, you know, where, where 
it's lovely to tell everybody that you're going to a big name school. It is not so lovely when your child after a semester is like, oh, my God, I am in over my head. I can't do this. And so, you know, there's something to be said for meeting the child where they're at. I mean, our, our middle son, on the other hand, you know, is already like talking about, you know, he, he, about SATs and this and that. And he's a freshman. Um, he's a, just a different kid. But, you know, for our daughter, it was a slower process. And we really I'm proud of the fact that we really met her where she was at. And look, she's not there yet. She might still come you know, home after a semester. And then this is all going to just be like, no, she won't. No, nope. she won't. No, she won't. <laughs> <laughs> not to this house. No, she won't. So, you know, but I do feel like in, in the long run, you know, you have to say to yourself, like, OK, I'm paying. Well, first of all, we're paying money, um, you know, and and there is a person's life involved here and and, you know, and their mental health and all of that. And all of that has to factor into the equation of, okay, is this the right place? Because like you said, after a certain amount of time, it's just going to be, how are you like in college? You know, is it great? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It comes down to a couple of things. Um, one of the things that we spend a lot of time on with students is thinking about who is the student, what is their temperament, what is their personality, and what is the, how does that juxtapose to the culture of a school? Some schools are incredibly competitive, right? And, and some I would go as far as to say, you know, are cutthroat. Mm. I'm not going to mention any particular names, but we've had students who have contacted us after they've gone off to school where we said, we really don't think you want to go to this one. You should go to that one. And they still go to the other one. And then they contact us and they said, you know, I walked into my economics class the first day and the professor gets up in front of the room and says, my job is to weed half of you out. Mm. Wow. <laughs> right. Or, or you walk around campus and you talk with students and you say, how would you describe the culture here at your school? Would you describe it as collaborative? Would you describe it as competitive? And then they just look at you and laugh, and you're like, well, what's so funny? So, well, you know, my professor, you know, assigned us um, um, and uh, gave us a project to work on, and there were some books in the library that we had to get to use as a resource. And what we discovered is the first person who made it to the library got the books, ripped out the pages the rest of us would need, right? And then, <laughs> you know, and so we're SOL, mm. right? You know, we're not going to have access to that. Do you really want to be in that kind of environment? Mm. Or do you want to be in a different kind of campus environment where they say, we're not going to give you grades for the first six months, Right. Because we want you guys to learn how to work together, how to collaborate together. And so that you you are building a community of students because this is what real life is going to be like. Right. You're going to go into a job someday and 90 percent of the work you're doing, unless you're sitting in front of a computer writing code all day, you know, is going to be team based. And you have to learn to be able to work with people when you're in high school. 
five, 10% of the work you do is team-based. When you get to college, it's 25, 30, 40, 50%, depending upon where you are, what your major is. Get to graduate school, it's 100% team-based. And then when you get into the work world, it's 100% mm-hmm. team-based. And it's all designed to prepare you to go out you know, into the work world. So culture is going to ma- have a huge amount to do mm-hmm. with is somebody going to thrive in that environment. Then once you found the right environment, it's also about thinking of wherever you are as a toolbox, right? Filled with tools. You have internship opportunities, you have clubs and organizations, you have study abroad, right? If you approach college as, and this is going to sound rather sort of mechanistic, but it's, but it's how I like to think of it, because if your goal is to go on to graduate school or to go out into the work world ultimately, think about your time in college as an opportunity to build your resume. You got to get good grades. If you're going to find that internship or find that job, you get the good grades, what's going to happen? First thing you do freshman year, you join clubs and organizations. Mm-hmm. You join some of them to have fun. You join some of them to get some professional development in whatever areas you think you might be interested in at that point. If you're undecided, and if you're not undecided, you might even be a little bit more targeted about the kinds of clubs you join. But it is the experience you get in those that when you then, between your sophomore and junior year, are applying for that first internship, they're going to look at your resume, they're going to see your grade point average, and then they're going to see, oh, you have this experience in this club working on a trading desk or or building robotics or whatever it is, right? And so now you get your first internship. That experience on the first internship gives you that opportunity to get that second internship. Maybe you have a professor that you build a relationship with who's conducting research in an area that you're interested in, and you build a relationship with that person, and next thing you know, you're in a lab working with that professor supporting their research. And if you think about this as building your resume so that when you go out into the work world or you go on to graduate school, you have this fairly long list of things that are going to make you a credible candidate because you were in the right culture with the right kinds of people around you and where you took advantage of the tools in the toolbox in the form of internships, clubs, research, study abroad, you know, all of these things that are going to help you build your resume that will set you up for success coming out when you're going into grad school or into the work world. Yeah, and you, and I think also knowing that you felt comfortable enough and at ease enough to to join those things because you didn't feel like the competition was just too steep. Correct. You know, and I think yeah. that's huge too. Like if you're constantly feeling like you can't compete, even in a club or something, then you're, it, it, it stunts you. It keeps you from doing things that you want to do. How are you going to feel when 
day by day by day, you're walking around campus and you're always feeling like you have to look over your shoulder because somebody wants to stab you in the back. Is that going to make mm. you feel good about yourself when you're trying to get internships or join clubs and everybody's keeping people at bay and keeping them out versus being an incredibly collaborative right. culture where they're welcoming you in, where you can feel good about yourself, mm. get involved in meaningful exercises that are going to help you build real experience. For me, I learned so much more in college from the things I did outside of the classroom than the things I learned inside Mm -hmm. the classroom. Agreed, yeah. Without a doubt. And so you want to think about the college experience and what you do outside of the classroom as being every bit as valuable, if not more so, than what you do inside the classroom. Okay, so all that being said, since this is coming up on the season where people are going to be visiting... Um, give a little overview of, you know, look, uh, unfortunately we don't all have, you know, two weeks to spare to do the college tours and to, you know, we're, we're limited on time and, you know, it's, it's, we have to sort of narrow it down as far as seeing places in person, right? You can do as many virtual tours as you want, Mm -hmm. but in order to make it the most impactful experience, um, what are your top tips for that? So, so first of all, going back to the early visits, it's doing what I was saying a little while ago, which is, you know, pick three schools, one rural, one suburban, one urban. This one is even tall. like between as a junior or senior? No, I'm, I'm saying in the early. Oh, I see. In, okay. In, yep. in the earlier stages, ninth okay. and 10th and maybe even the first half of 11th right. grade. But okay, but let's say the people who haven't done that. But, but as you come out of that, now you've got to start getting more focused, right? You're going to build a college list, right? Um, One of the things I'd be doing if I were undecided is I would be looking for schools that have the scaffolding around how are they going to help me figure out what I want to major in. And I'd be building a list of schools, especially if you don't know what you want to do. I'm a huge fan of small liberal arts schools because more corporations are hiring people who have critical thinking skills, analytical Mm -hmm. skills, communication skills, you know, all of these softer skills. They want those kinds of people. And when you come out of liberal arts programs, they love hiring students out of it. When you come out of the larger universities and you're specializing in engineering or business, sure, those people are getting hired too, but then you're missing some of the more humanities, Mm -hmm. you know, and some of the softer, you know, skills. But having said that, It's really sort of critical when you think about visiting these schools. So one thing is find those schools with the scaffolding. Another thing is, depending upon your list, many schools keep score, right, on who's visiting and are you registering for an interview? Are you registering for an information session? Are you engaging with them via social media? But in terms of visiting the schools, the way I'd be thinking about this is I'd be finding the schools that are my top three or four choices after I've built my list, I've done some research, figured out who has those best sort of scaffolding programs, or if I know what I want to study, which schools have those programs and the tools that I really want to take advantage of, the research, the internships, the study abroad kind of opportunities. And then I would be saying the schools that are going to be keeping score where demonstrated interest is concerned, 
I'd absolutely recommend that you find a way to go visit those schools. There are some schools out there that if you don't make the trip to the campus and sign up for an interview and sign up for an information session and a tour, don't bother applying because they're going to conclude you're not that interested in the school. And they want to, any school wants to admit students that they believe will accept an offer of admission if they make it. Oh, I know what that's called. That's called yield. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Correct. You win. And it, I win. And it is a huge game that colleges play. Yeah. Yeah, yield is I like a big, it's think, like a brag, it's like a bragging right, right? But I would think, well, like, wouldn't you go see a school that you were applying to? For well, the, not if you're across the country and but you But if you're thinking about going there for the next four years of your life, you'd want to see it in person, right? But you only have so much time. Like, there are some people who, they have no idea where they want to go. Okay, but if you were choosing, let's say, between five, I don't know what the number is, five schools, right? And, and you're thinking about spending the next four years of your life there, I would assume you're you're making time, whatever it is, to go visit. You're not visiting 30. I mean, I didn't visit the school I, I went to until after I was admitted. And, really? to, and yeah. today that doesn't work as well. Yeah. Right. Particularly where this yield discussion is. Right. Because they are trying to predict if they make you an offer, will you accept it? Right. And so that can't happen after they've already made you an offer. So you have to be able to demonstrate interest by virtue of visiting, signing up mm. for to info sessions, signing up for tours, signing up for interviews, maybe sitting down with professors, whatever it is. And then there are other things that go into demonstrated interest, like how I write my essays, you know, how mm. I engage with them on social media, but that's not about visiting. Well, so is, so virtual isn't enough, you're saying, like for most schools? For those schools that care about demonstrated interest, it absolutely is not enough. You've, and how do you find out there. if they are? You can usually Google, you okay. know, it, yep. like, does this school look at demonstrated Got interest? It. Also, there's a wonderful website out there called College Data. And, and if you go to College Data, they will show you all the different factors that they look at and demonstrated interest will be one of them and they will rate it as either like hugely important all the way down to we don't care. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. Well, I wanted to ask a question too. Has it changed? Because what you just said, Danielle, was like you didn't even visit till you were admitted. Or, you because know. I thought I was going to get into my early decision school. Like everyone was like, oh, you're definitely okay, going to get in. Right, so I you did. didn't go and you got in, right? So that doesn't happen today. Like with me, when I went to private school in high school, my parents brought me there, signed me up. I maybe I had an interview. I don't know. I was in. Like there was no question asked. Like that they paid, they wrote a check and I was in the school, right? Like with now, we're trying to get our boys into you know private school and high school and middle school. This is a process. There's essays. There's videos. There's waiting. We still have. It's three months of us, two months of us waiting to see if they're accepted. It's highly competitive. Is that the same thing with college now too, compared to what Danielle was saying when she applied and got into NYU without even having to visit the place? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no. I, only, I got because in she, because she I'm a so phenomenal candidate. And, right, absolutely. No, it was a complete mistake. It was like a, a mix-up <laughs> at the hospital. Da Danielle was so amazing right. back then that no, if she were applying no, it was today. A, I'm telling you, it was a, it was a mistake. No. They, they, they screwed as, up. As wonderful and as beautiful and as everything that Danielle is. Oh, God. Right. What that might have been the norm back then, just like it was for me to get into the high school, right? So, like today, with our experience getting into these 
private high schools, which is, I feel like we're sending our kids to college. Like that's what it feels like. Is that it should the difference? feel like that? Uh, it it really is. <laughs> I mean, is that the same? Is that how it is now? Like you said, it's you, so much harder to yeah. go through this process today than it was five years ago when you were applying to college, Danielle. Is <laughs> five, that when you went? Five and a half. Five and a half. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, it's so it's so much harder today. To, it's so much more competitive. You know, th- there's been a lot of change. Um, you have so many students applying to these schools today, and there are a lot of different factors. But one of them is, you know, 15, 20 years ago when the Common App came into being, mm-hmm. it just made it super, super easy right. to apply to lots of schools. Right? You can apply to up to 20 schools you know, through the common app. And so the numbers of applications, especially when you think of the fact that I can fill out one application, apply to 20 schools. And yes, I may have some supplemental essays that I have to write for those 20 schools, but you're not filling out 20 separate applications for like 70% of the application. So Mm -hmm. it just become that much easier. That has exploded the number of applications that colleges are receiving, okay? And it's just getting that much more competitive. And the problem is, you could look at the last decade, you know, at the number and the volume of applications colleges are receiving, and it's just going straight up. Unfortunately, the number of available seats available in those schools haven't changed. So this is why admit rates are are just going down and down. Are there more people going to college than there was 25 years ago? Or is it just the same amount of people applying to more schools. Well, you have like right now we over have over 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States and because of the pandemic, you know, if you think about schools beyond the top 100, 150 schools, many of those schools are hurting because they're they're watching enrollment drop pretty dramatically because of the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Because it just has changed the way people feel. Um, about a college education. But when you're looking at the top 100 or so schools, for the majority of them, the vast majority, they are not only maintaining their enrollment levels, you know, they're getting more and more applications. And that just makes it more and more competitive than it ever has been. Um, So, yeah, and this is one of the reasons why the college admissions process it used to be, go back 20, 25 years, you know, how were your SAT scores? How were your grades? To what extent did you challenge yourself academically? Right. And now that's just a filter. It's a cost of doing business. That's It gets you into the discussion if you have the grades, the test scores, the challenging curriculum. It does not get you in the door, wow. right? It comes down to character evaluation. They're evaluating your potential beyond the classroom, they're evaluating your authenticity, which speaks to your genuine desire to maximize your potential both in and out of the classroom. And you have to be able to demonstrate these things through your essays, through your interviews, through the brag sheets you write, which influence the letters of recommendation that your school counselors you know, write and your teachers write. It's just become much, much more complicated, much more stressful for the kids. These are teenagers, and they're having to deal with massive amounts of work to get through this process. And some of them are applying to crazy numbers of schools. So, yeah, it's just all getting tougher. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that through experience. I've heard more and more 
people with 1500 plus SATs, four point whatever GPAs, valedictory, all the things, all the good stuff, right? And getting deferred or not getting into schools. Yeah. Correct, correct. Yeah. I mean, it just sat like you look at the per and you know the people and they're good kids, you know, smart kids. All you know, you think they have all the reasons to get in, and they don't. They don't because first of all, it's almost impossible to differentiate oneself purely on an academic level. I mean, we've been doing this a long time. I've been at this close to thirteen years. We've worked with a lot of very, very smart kids. Mm. We've looked at the, worked with the full range. In 13 years, I've seen one student differentiate themselves academically. Only one. Over, wow. of well over 1,000. This, wow. was, this was a young lady who, at the age of 13, lived in Sydney, Australia, and was an adjunct professor of quantum mechanics okay. at the University of Sydney. Oh. <laughs> this is the only student I have ever seen. And then she came to us and said, I don't know how to apply to college. But she was right. an adjunct professor oh of gosh. quantum mechanics at a university at the <laughs> age of 13. Can you bring her on for the next time? Because I would right. love to have a discussion about to, quantum mechanics. To, today them. she's at Harvard getting her PhD <laughs> in astrophysics. And she's 15. But, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But, but, but it, you know, you just can't separate yeah, yourself yeah. There are so many kids, and, and I don't care what level of school we're talking about, whether it's the Ivy Leagues or schools in the top 100, it does not matter. They are all receiving so many applications mm -hmm. from kids who have the kinds of grades and test scores mm -hmm. and challenging curriculums that those schools want to see that it is virtually impossible to distinguish oneself purely on an academic level. So somebody, somebody who has... Perfect SATs, perfect GPA, takes 10 APs, gets fives on all of them. If they're not thinking about how they demonstrate potential beyond the classroom, right. and if they're not thinking about how they demonstrate their motivation to become the best versions of themselves, it's not going to matter that they have those grades because mm. those, those kids grow on trees. There's just way too many of them mm -hmm. given the relatively small number of available seats at many of the top schools right, right? so it just the process has evolved because it's had to evolve um, and it's become this character-based evaluation I think that's one of the reasons why um, I think it's so important to go into the process with an open mind about you know where your your child is going to end up or where they're going to apply. And, you know, I, I think I, I tell this story all the time. I just told it in an episode, you know, I told it to all Mia's friends and my nieces and nephews and everything that, you know, my dream, what I thought was my dream school, I applied early and it was like a no brainer. Everyone was like, oh, you know, you're applying to a safety for your, for e, you know, your early decision and everything. I just, and I was like, yeah, I want to be in Boston. This is my plan. And I didn't get in. And, it, you know, I, I mourned that for weeks, you know, and the humiliation of it and all of that. Um, and, at, you know, and now there's I a reason for that. Oh, by thank, the way, thank but, God. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. Right. Like, you know, you, you a little bit have to trust the process. I mean, I, it's easy to say because, you know, and when you're in it and we just were, I wouldn't I probably would not have said that had the circumstances, you know, for Mia and her dream school 
been different and she hadn't gotten in, um, you know, because obviously when you're on the other side of that, it takes a good probably 5, 10, 15 years to realize that it was the best thing and you had to trust the process, not when you're in it. But a little bit, you know, I think there is something to be said for going into it saying, okay, you know, we're going to keep an open mind. And again, it's not about the brand. It's not about um, the status or, you know, it's, it's not, it's nothing telling about our kid. It's, it is, I mean, that whole good fit is a, such a cliche, but in, in a sense, I think it is so important. I mean, you know, to have those, those ideas of the well-rounded, not just student, but the well-rounded school and, and, you know, all the things a school can give. And, you know, there's something to be said for going to a school that is, has a little bit less of the status or has a little bit less of the brand or, you know, it's, there's a comfort level, I think, for certain kids, especially after the pandemic and everything, when kids have missed out on so much and are a little bit behind in some ways. Um, So I don't know, uh, my personal, you know, as a non-college advisor and everything, as a parent who just went through it, that really is, you know, from start to finish to just keep an open mind and all of those other things because, you know, it took four words to get me to go where I went to college. We want you here. That's what the the Mm -hmm. woman said to me. Yep. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. I, my search is over. You want me here? Holy sh- No one's ever said that to me before. You know? And, and so that, that to me was like, oh, my God. I, 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 that, they want me here. I'm coming. And, and so, you know, you never know what it's going to be, what the moment's going to be when your kid is sort of like, okay, this is my place. And it might not be what you had in mind for them. But that's okay, usually, as long yeah. as, you know. I, I, I think it is. As long as they don't want to go to, like, you know. I don't know, somewhere, you know, England for $120,000 a year and you can't pay, you know, then we got to rethink. But I think it's an incredibly healthy attitude to have uh, to keep that open mind about the types of schools and focusing in on what kind of environment is my child going to thrive in? Right. Because to me, that is more important than anything else. Because when a student is in, an environment where they can are set up to thrive, mm-hmm. they go on to do great things. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and to me, that is that is probably the single most important thing to look at. Mm. And it and very often, it's not the brand name school, you know, because if it's not the right environment, if it's going to be too competitive, if the student is going to feel overwhelmed, you know, that that's not thriving. Right. Right. So you want them to be able to thrive. You want them to be around people that are going to collaborate with them, that are going to have their back, that are going to help them grow, that are going to challenge them to grow. Right. But do it in a collaborative collegial way. I mean, I can't think of a better environment to be in. I love that. Yeah. One thing I wanted to point out against what Danielle just said, actually, where they where she was saying, send your kids to England. But, you know, for 150. I said, uh, don't. Because it's one hundred fifty thousand, whatever. Like you said, it was so expensive. No, I was just saying. Obviously, there's a. Everyone has to have a, a boundary of. No, but okay, here's this here, here's kind much. of my point and my question. I I've been hearing more people are sending their kids overseas to England and other places because it's too expensive in the United States, and they're getting that quote unquote gap year to find themselves in other countries or do other things. In a college that's costing half the price that it is here, 
Is that happening? That's what I've been hearing. Absolutely, it's happening. Um, I think it's wonderful, by the way, but please. Well, so <laughs> I have mixed views about okay. this. And you know Go. way more than I do. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Absolutely, there are a growing number of people going overseas to go to college. Sometimes it's for great reasons. We've had students who said, I want to study European history. Why would I do that from a school in the U.S. when I can be in the seat of European history going to a school in England or somewhere else in Europe, for that matter? That's a great reason to go. One of the things about, and by the way, generally speaking, it is cheaper, right? The schools are just not as expensive mm-hmm. over oh, there. Wow. as It may have been different in the past, but they are generally okay. less expensive than the schools are here. The problem I have with um, UK schools is that most of the programs, you don't major in something in the UK. You pursue what's known as a course of study. The course of study is your major. Mm. Okay, And you get your degree at most UK schools in most courses of study in three years. And the difference is, when you go to a U.S. school, you spend most of your first two years taking all sorts of core required classes <clears throat> that are going to give you some of that foundation around humanities and other foundational areas. Whereas when you go to the U.K., you're skipping all of that. You're going right into your course of study and you're getting through it, you know, in three years. My so you do need to know what you want to do, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, my, my my niece, my brother lives in London, um, and his daughter is graduating from architecture school um, in June, and she's completed her architecture degree in three years here in the United States. Generally, it's at least a five-year process and sometimes longer. Right. And so there are advantages, but there are disadvantages. Well, as if well. somebody like especially, you know, this, if somebody you have a background in finance, let's say I'm just using a generic, you know, uh, field of study. Right. Somebody's interested in finance. They know they want to get into finance. Right. And they live in America and they're looking to go to, to college and they say, hey, I can go to the UK and get the same basic fundamentals of general studies in finance. I don't I, I don't know if it is the same in the US versus UK. We're just using UK as an example. It could be one of another hundred countries. It doesn't matter. And they can go there and do it in three years and have the same basic concepts they would have learned here for let's say half the price, whatever the number is, I don't know. Right. And be done a year early for half the price and then come back and use is it a degree that they get there? I don't know. Yeah. But okay, so so is that a good situation? If somebody knows what they want to do and they know that's their passion, they want to do it, is that the right choice? I mean, it sounds... I mean, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it. If I have a problem with it, it's that I believe in the value of a liberal arts education mm-hmm. and getting some of those foundational subjects under your belt, English, history, foreign language you know, economics, things like that, um, which, you know, you're going to get some economics under your belt if you're going for a course of study mm-hmm. in finance, you know, but you're not going to get be getting most of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. They're going to skip right over that because it's a three-year program and they've got to get you through your course of study in that time frame. There's merit to having those things as part of your educational 
portfolio because they teach you how to think. They teach you how to communicate. They teach you how to problem solve. And it's another year of maturing. And it's another, it's another year of yep. maturing. So there are trade-offs mm-hmm. for of sure. Of course. Right? Oh, absolutely. There are trade-offs for sure. Everything, right? If I'm a family that is really concerned about finances and – you know, I want my kid to get that degree in finance or whatever it is, architecture, and I want them in and out in three years because it's going to cost me a lot less. Sometimes that's the right answer. Mm. Mm. And it's right? kind of cool. You're living in another country and having the experience. Wow, yeah, of living I just there. learned and something. I had no idea. It you're cost less money. And you're See? getting you're yeah. getting a great experience being right. yeah. overseas. Yeah, 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 for right. sure. No question about yeah. it. Yeah, like before we knew, you know, with the direction of Mia, if she was going to go to college or if she, we knew she had to mature, right? So this was mm-hmm. a year and a half ago before we sent her to the other school. We knew she needed to grow and mature. If she wasn't at this point, maybe a gap year was the right thing for her to go yeah. find herself and find out who she is and where she needs to be and what she wants to do. Yes. Well, we asked her if she wanted to do a gap year. Right. She and, said no. But the transition that we, you know, she's been through right. has changed all that, you know, I, I guess for the better, maybe the other, who knows, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't matter. I right. mean, we've worked with a number of families helping their kids go over to the UK. We're one of two or three, and this could have changed, but we've been, so we have the common app in the United States. The equivalent of that in the UK is something called UCAS, U-C-A-S. We're one of two or three approved UCAS centers in in the United States. And because of that, we've been fortunate to have families come to us to help their kids, Mm -hmm. you know, apply to school, you know, outside of the United States. But we're always having the conversations with the families. You know, is this really that's the right, good? Yeah. Is this that's really great. the right decision? Yeah, those are good you know? conversations to have. I right. mean, for sure. And that guidance is so you know is so important, which is what's going to take. I I love how into this you are, Adam. I'm so like for somebody who wasn't passionate about this. <laughs> but luckily, well, we didn't Peter's get into going, all the other. Well, things. we're going to. Okay. We're going to because Peter's coming back. Thank goodness, because I, I think we what what did we answer three or four of the questions that we had? But it's traditional marriage or martini yeah, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But you're coming back, which I'm so excited about because um, we can continue. But tell everybody for now where they can find you if they want to continue to get the resources, um, you know, for the conversation that we've been having. Yeah, so... Our website is www. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Probably don't need to be saying that anymore. Do Adam I? always makes fun of me. When yeah. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, forget the www. Don't anymore. forget the HTTPS yeah, sorry. colon HTTP forward slash colon slash slash Princeton College Consulting dot net slash Kim. What it doesn't matter. We're gonna put the link in the episode details in the show notes. Yeah. So we're gonna put it out there anyway. And you're on Instagram at Princeton College Consulting. Well, well, she got it. So let him say it anyway, just to make sure. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So yeah, we're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. But Kim, what were you gonna tell me? Okay. So, um, but yeah, and so one of the things we did put together for your audience. Uh, is a sort of all things college visits guide. Oh, awesome. Um, so think, you know, why it's important to go, when and where to go, um, what kinds of tasks to try and complete when you're going on these college visits, as well as how to evaluate the information you're collecting and the programs so that you can begin to form substantive opinions, you know, about the schools that you're visiting. That's awesome. 
well, I could we could use that last summer, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll use it for Ian. Right. <laughs> well, thank you. This was so fun. I love that. Like this topic to me is just I I find it so fascinating and everything. And since my my you know I have six nieces and nephews right now in college, and like I follow all the colleges on Instagram. I'm just so into it. I love it. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the conversation is, is so awesome. And I think I love the way it's sort of changing in so many different directions. And my, my view and perception of it has changed so much. And, um, so thank you for coming on and talking to Thanks us. Thanks so much for this having me. This was so me. fun. And we will this be is back a blast. for part two. All right. Can't wait. All right. Awesome. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus.